Part two of The Man Who Would Be King. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Philippa. The Man Who Would Be King by Rudyard Kipling. Part two. The Kumar Sen Sarai is the great four-square sink of humanity, where the strings of camels and horses from the north load and unload. All the nationalities of Central Asia may be found there, and most of the folk of India proper. Balk and Bokhara there meet Bengal and Bombay, and try to draw eye-teeth. You can buy ponies, turquoises, Persian pussycats, saddle-bags, fat-tailed sheep, and musk in the Kumharsen Serai, and get many strange things for nothing. In the afternoon I went down to see whether my friends intended to keep their word, or were lying there drunk. A priest attired in fragments of ribbons and rags stalked up to me, gravely twisting a child's paper whirligig. Behind him was his servant bending under the load of a crate of mud toys. The two were loading up two camels, and the inhabitants of the Sarai watched them with shrieks of laughter. "'The priest is mad,' said a horse-dealer to me. "'He is going up to Kabul to sell toys to the Amir. He will either be raised to honour or have his head cut off.' He came in here this morning and has been behaving madly ever since. The witless are under the protection of God, stammered a flat-cheeked Uzbek in broken Hindi. They foretell future events. Would they could have foretold that my caravan would have been cut up by the Shinwaris almost within shadow of the pass, grunted the Yusufzai agent of a Rajputana trading-house, whose goods had been diverted into the hands of other robbers just across the border, and whose misfortunes were the laughing-stock of the bazaar. "'Oe, priest! Whence come you, and whither do you go?' "'From Rum have I come,' shouted the priest, waving his whirligig. "'From Rum, blown by the breath of a hundred devils across the sea, all thieves, robbers, liars, the blessing of Pir Khan and pigs, dogs, and perjurers. Who will take the protected of God to the north to sell charms that are never still to the Amir? The camels shall not gall, the sons shall not fall sick, and the wives shall remain faithful while they are away of the men who give me place in their caravan." Who will assist me to slipper the king of the ruse with a golden slipper with a silver heel? The protection of Pir Khan be upon his labours. He spread out the skirts of his gabardine and pirouetted between the lines of tethered horses. There starts a caravan from Peshawar to Kabul in twenty days, Husrut, said the Yusufsa trader. My camels go therewith. Do thou also go and bring us good luck. "'I will go even now,' shouted the priest. "'I will depart upon my winged camels and be at Peshawar in a day. "'Ho! Hazir Mir Khan!' he yelled to his servant. "'Drive out the camels, but let me first mount my own.' He leapt on the back of his beast as it knelt, and, turning round to me, cried, "'Come thou also, Sahib, a little along the road, and I will sell thee a charm.' an amulet that shall make thee king of Kafiristan. Then the light broke upon me, and I followed the two camels out of the Sarai till we reached open road, 
and the priest halted. "'What do you think of that?' said he in English. "'Carnahan can't talk there, Padder, so I've made him my servant. He makes a handsome servant. Tisn't for nothing that I've been knocking about the country for fourteen years. Didn't I do that talk neat? We'll hitch on to a caravan at Peshawar till we get to Jagdalak, and then we'll see if we can get donkeys for our camels and strike into Kafiristan. Whirly gigs for the Amir, oh lor! Put your hand under the camel-bags and tell me what you feel. I felt the butt of a martini, and another, and another. Twenty of them, said Dravot placidly. Twenty of them, and ammunition to correspond, under the whirligigs and the mud-dolls. Heaven help you if you're caught with those things, I said. A martini is worth our weight in silver among the Pathans. Fifteen hundred rupees of capital. Every rupee we could beg, borrow, or steal are invested on those two camels, said Dravot. We won't get caught. We're going through the Khyber with a regular caravan. Who'd touch a poor mad priest? Have you got everything you want? I asked, overcome with astonishment. Not yet, but we shall soon. Give us a memento of your kindness, brother. You did me a service yesterday and that time in Marwell. Half my kingdom shall you have, as the saying is. I slipped a small charm compass from my watch-chain and handed it up to the priest. Good-bye, said Dravot, giving me hand cautiously. It's the last time we'll shake hands with an Englishman these many days. Shake hands with him, Carnahan, he cried as the second camel passed me. Carnahan leaned down and shook hands. Then the camels passed away along the dusty road, and I was left alone to wonder. My eye could detect no failure in the disguises. The scene in the Sarai proved that they were complete to the native mind. There was just a chance, therefore, that Carnahan and Dravot would be able to wander through Afghanistan without detection. But beyond, they would find death, certain and awful death. Ten days later, a native correspondent, giving me the news of the day from Peshawar, wound up his letter with, There has been much laughter here, on the account of a certain mad priest, who is going, in his estimation, to sell pretty gourds and insignificant trinkets, which he ascribes as great charms, to H. H. the Amir of Bokhara. He passed through Peshawar, and associated himself to the second summer caravan that goes to Kabul. The merchants are pleased, because through superstition they imagine that such mad fellows bring good fortune. The two, then, were beyond the border. I would have prayed for them, but that night a real king died in Europe, and demanded an obituary notice. The wheel of the world swings through the same phases again and again. Summer passed, and winter thereafter, and came and passed again. The daily paper continued, and I with it, and upon the third summer there fell a hot night, a night issue, and a strained waiting for something to be telegraphed from the other side of the world, exactly as had happened before. A few great men had died in the past two years, the machines worked with more clatter, and some of the trees in the office garden were a few feet taller, but that was all the difference. I passed over to the press-room, and went through just such a scene as I have already described. The nervous tension was stronger than it had been two years before, and I felt the heat more acutely. 
At three o'clock I cried, Print off, and turned to go. When there crept to my chair what was left of a man. He was bent into a circle, his head was sunk between his shoulders, and he moved his feet one over the other like a bear. I could hardly see whether he walked or crawled, this rag-wrapped, whining cripple, who addressed me by name, crying that he was come back. "'Can you give me a drink?' he whimpered. "'For the Lord's sake, give me a drink!' I went back to the office, the man following with groans of pain, and I turned up the lamp. "'Don't you know me?' he gasped, dropping into a chair, and he turned his drawn face, surmounted by a shock of grey hair, to the light. I looked at him intently. Once before had I seen eyebrows that met over the nose in an inch-broad black band, but for the life of me I could not tell where. "'I don't know you,' I said, handing him the whisky. "'What can I do for you?' He took a gulp of the spirit raw, and shivered in spite of the suffocating heat. "'I've come back,' he repeated. "'And I was the king of Kifiristan. "'Me and Dravot. "'Crowned kings we was. "'In this office we settled it. "'You sitting there and giving us the books. "'I'm Peachy. "'Peachy Taliaferro Carnahan. "'And you've been sitting here ever since. "'Oh, Lord!' I was more than a little astonished, and expressed my feelings accordingly. "'It's true,' said Carnahan, with a dry cackle, nursing his feet which were wrapped in rags. "'True as gospel kings we were, with crowns upon our heads, me and Dravot. Poor Dan! Oh, poor, poor Dan, that would never take advice, not though I begged of him!' "'Take the whisky,' I said, "'and take your own time.' "'Tell me all you can recollect of everything from beginning to end. "'You got across the border on your camels, "'Dravot dressed as a mad priest and you his servant. "'Do you remember that?' "'I ain't mad. Yet. "'But I shall be that way soon. "'Of course I remember. "'Keep looking at me, or maybe my words will go all to pieces. "'Keep looking at me in my eyes, and don't say anything.' I leaned forward and looked into his face as steadily as I could. He dropped one hand upon the table, and I grasped it by the wrist. It was twisted like a bird's claw, and upon the back was a ragged, red, diamond-shaped scar. "'No, don't look there. Look at me,' said Carnahan. "'That comes afterward. But for the Lord's sake, don't distract me. We left with that caravan.' me and Dravot playing all sorts of antics to amuse the people we were with. Dravot used to make us laugh in the evenings, when all the people was cooking their dinners. Cooking their dinners, and what did they do then? They lit little fires with sparks that went into Dravot's beard, and we all laughed, fit to die. Little red fires they was going into Dravot's big red beard. So funny." His eyes left mine, and he smiled foolishly. "'You went as far as Jagdalak with that caravan,' I said at a venture, "'after you had lit those fires. "'To Jagdalak, where you turned off to try to get into Kafiristan?' "'Ah, oh, we didn't, neither. "'What are you talking about? 
"'We turned off before Jag Dalek, because we heard the roads was good. "'But they wasn't good enough for our two camels, mine and Dravot's. "'When we left the caravan, Dravot took off all his clothes, and mine too, "'and said we would be heathen, because the Kaffirs didn't allow Mohammedans to talk to them. "'So we dressed betwixt and between, and such a sight as Daniel Dravot I never saw yet, nor it's better to see again.' He burned half his beard and slung a sheepskin over his shoulder and shaved his head into patterns. He shaved mine too and made me wear outrageous things to look like a heathen. That was in a most mountainous country and our camels couldn't go along any more because of the mountains. They were tall and black. Coming home I saw them fight like wild goats. There are lots of goats in Kafiristan. And these mountains, they never keep still, no more than the goats. Always fighting they are, and don't let you sleep at night. Take some more whisky, I said very slowly. What did you and Daniel Dravot do when the camels could go no farther because of the rough roads that led into Kafiristan? What did which do? There was a party called Peachy Talia Ferro Carnan that was with Dravot. Shall I tell you about him? He died out there in the cold. Slap from the bridge fell old Peachy, turning and twisting in the air like a penny whirly gig that you can sell to the Amir. Now they was two for three eightens, those whirly gigs, or I'm much mistaken and woeful sore. And then these camels were no use, and Peachy said to Dravot, for the Lord's sake, let's get out of this before our heads are chopped off. And with that, they killed the camels all along the mountains, not having anything in particular to eat. But first they took off the boxes with the guns and the ammunition, till two men came along driving four mules. Draver up and dances in front of them, singing, Sell me four mules, says the first man. If you're rich enough to buy, you're rich enough to rob. But before ever he could put his hand to his knife, Dravot breaks his neck over his knee, and the other party runs away. So Carnan loaded the mules with rifles that was taken off the camels, and together we starts forward into those bitter cold mountainous parts, and never a road broader than the back of your hand. He paused for a moment, while I asked him if he could remember the nature of the country through which they had journeyed. I'm telling you as straight as I can, but my head isn't as good as it might be. They drove nails through it to make me hear better how Drevert died. The country was mountainous, and the mules were most contrary, and the inhabitants was dispersed and solitary. They went up and up, and down and down, and that other party, Carnahan, was imploring of Dravot not to sing and whistle so loud for fear of bringing down the tremendous avalanches. But Dravot says that if a king couldn't sing it wasn't worth being a king, and whacked the mules over the rump and never took no heed for ten cold days. We came to a big level valley all among the mountains, and the mules was near dead so we killed them, not having anything in special for them or us to eat. We sat upon the boxes and played odd and even with the cartridges that was jolted out. Then ten men with bows and arrows 
ran down that valley, chasing twenty men with bows and arrows, and the row was tremendous. They was fair men, fairer than you or me, with yellow hair and remarkable well-built. Says Draver, unpacking the guns, This is the beginning of the business. We'll fight for the ten men. And with that he fires two rifles at the twenty men, and drops one of them at two hundred yards from the rock where he was sitting. The other men began to run, but Carnian and Dravot sits on the boxes, picking them off at all ranges up and down the valley. Then we goes up to the ten men that had run across the snow too, and they fires a footy little arrow at us. Dravot, he shoots above their heads, and they all falls down flat. Then he walks over em and kicks em, and then he lifts em up and shakes hands all round to make em friendly-like. He calls em and gives em the boxes to carry, and waves his hand for all the world as though he was king already. They takes the boxes and him across the valley, and up the hill into a pine-wood on the top, where there was half a dozen big stone idols. Draver, he goes to the biggest, a fellow they call Imbra, and lays a rifle and a cartridge at his feet, rubbing his nose respectfully with his own nose, patting him on the head, and nods his head and says, "'That's all right, I'm in the know too, and these old jim-jams are my friends.' Then he opens his mouth and points down it, and when the first man brings him food he says no, and when the second man brings him food he says no. But when one of the old priests and the boss of the village brings him food, he says, Yes, very haughty, and eats it slow. That was how we came to our first village without any trouble, just as though we had tumbled from the skies. But we tumbled from one of those damned rope bridges, you see, and you couldn't expect a man to laugh much after that. Take some more whisky and go on, I said. That was the first village you came into. How did you get to be king? I wasn't king, said Carnahan. Draver, he was the king, and a handsome man he looked with a gold crown on his head and all. Him and the other party stayed in that village, and every morning Draver sat by the side of old Imbra, and the people came and worshipped. That was Draver's order. Then... A lot of men came into the valley, and Carnin and Draver picks them off with their rifles before they knew where they was, and runs down into the valley and up again the other side, and finds another village, same as the first one, and the people all falls down flat on their faces, and Dravot says, Now, what is the trouble between you two villages? And the people points to a woman, as fair as you or me, that was carried off. And Dravot takes her back to the first village and counts up the dead. Eight there was. For each dead man, Dravot pours a little milk on the ground and waves his arms like a whirligig, and that's all right, says he. Then he and Carnahan takes the big boss of each village by the arm and walks them down the valley and shows them how to scratch a line with a spear right down the valley and gives each a sod of turf from both sides of the line. Then all the people comes down and shouts like the devil and all, and Dravot says, Go and dig the land, and be fruitful, and multiply. Which they did, though they didn't understand. Then we asks the names of things in their lingo, 
bread and water and fire and idols and such. And Dravot leads the priest of each village up to the idol and says he must sit there and judge the people. And if anything goes wrong, he is to be shot. Next week they was all turning up the land in the valley as quiet as bees and much prettier. And the priest heard all the complaints and told Dravot in dumb show what it was about. That's just the beginning, says Dravot. They think we're gods. He and Carnin picks out twenty good men and shows them how to click off a rifle and form fours and advance in line, and they was very pleased to do so, and clever to see the hang of it. Then he takes out his pipe and his backy pouch, and leaves one at one village and one at the other, and off we two goes to see what was to be done in the next valley. That was all rock, and there was a little village there, and Carnian says, send them to the old valley to plant, and takes them there, and gives them some land that wasn't took before. They were a poor lot, and we blooded him with a kid before letting them into the new kingdom. That was to impress the people. And they settled down quiet, and Carnahan went back to Dravot, who had got into another valley, all snow and ice and most mountainous. There was no people there, and the army got afraid. So Dravot shoots one of them, and goes on till he finds some people in a village, and the army explains that unless the people wants to be killed, they had better not shoot their little matchlocks, for they had matchlocks. We makes friends with the priest, and I stays there alone with two of the army, teaching the men how to drill. And a thundering big chief comes across the snow with kettle drums and horns twanging, because he heard there was a new god kicking about. Carnahan sights for the brown and the men half a mile across the snow and wings one of them. Then he sends a message to the chief that unless he wished to be killed, he must come and shake hands with me and leave his arms behind. The chief comes alone first, and Carnahan shakes hands with him and whirls his arms about, same as Dravot used, and very much surprised that chief was, and strokes my eyebrows. Then Carnahan goes alone to the chief and asks him in dumb show if he had an enemy he hated. I have, says the chief. So Carnahan weeds out the pick of his men and sets the two of the army to show them drill, and at the end of two weeks the men can manoeuvre about as well as volunteers. So he marches with the chief to a great big plain on the top of a mountain, and the chief's men rushes into a village and takes it, we three martinis firing into the brown of the enemy. So we took that village too, and I gives the chief a rag from my coat and says, Occupy till I come, which was scriptural. By way of a reminder, when me and the army was eighteen hundred yards away, I drops a bullet near him standing on the snow, and all the people falls flat on their faces. Then I sends a letter to Dravot, wherever he be, by land or by sea. At the risk of throwing the creature out of his train, I interrupted. How could you write a letter up yonder? The letter. Oh, the letter. Keep looking at me between the eyes, please. It was a string-talk letter, that we'd learned the way of it from a blind beggar in the Punjab. I remember that there once had come to the office a blind man with a knotted twig and a piece of string which he wound round the twig according to some cipher of his own. 
he could, after the lapse of days or hours, repeat the sentence which he had reeled up. He had reduced the alphabet to eleven primitive sounds, and tried to teach me his method, but I could not understand. "'I sent that letter to Dravot,' said Carnahan, "'and told him to come back, because this kingdom was growing too big for me to handle. And then I struck for the first valley to see how the priests were working.' They called the village we took along with the chief Bashkai, and the first village we took Urheb. The priests at Urheb was doing all right, but they had a lot of pending cases about land to show me, and some men from another village had been firing arrows at night. I went out and looked for that village, and fired four rounds at it from a thousand yards. That used all the cartridges I cared to spend, and I waited for Dravot, who had been away two or three months and I kept my people quiet. One morning I heard the devil's own noise of drums and horns, and Dan Dravot marches down the hill with his army and a tail of hundreds of men, and, which was the most amazing, a great gold crown on his head. "'My gold, Carnan,' says Daniel, "'this is a tremendous business, and we've got the old country as far as it's worth having.' I am the son of Alexander by Queen Semiramis, and you're my younger brother and a god too. It's the biggest thing we've ever seen. I've been marching and fighting for six weeks with the army, and every footy little village for fifty miles has come in rejoiceful. And more than that, I've got the key of the old show, as you'll see, and I've got a crown for you. I told them to make two of them at a place called Shoe, where the gold lies in the rock like suet in mutton. Gold I've seen, and turquoise I've kicked out of the cliffs, and there's garnets in the sands of the river, and here's a chunk of amber that a man brought me. Call up all the priests in here, take your crown. One of the men opens a black hair bag, and I slips the crown on. It was too small and too heavy, but I wore it for the glory. Hammered gold, it was five pounds weight, like a hoop of a barrel. Peachy, says Dravot, we don't want to fight no more. The craft's the trick, so help me. And he brings forward that same chief that I left at Bashkai. Billy Fish, we called him afterward, because he was so like Billy Fish that drove the big tank engine at Match on the Bolan in the old days. Shake hands with him, says Dravot and I shook hands and nearly dropped, for Billy Fish gave me the grip. I said nothing, but tried him with the fellow-craft grip. He answers all right, and I tried the master's grip, but that was a slip. Fellow-craft he is, I said to Dan. Does he know the word? He does, says Dan, and all the priests know. It's a miracle. The chiefs and the priests can work a fellow-craft lodge in a way that's very like ours, and they've cut the marks on the rock, but they don't know the third degree, and they've come to find out. It's God's truth. I've known these long years that the Afghans knew up to the fellow-craft degree, but this is a miracle. A god and a grand master of the craft am I, and a lodge in the third degree I will open, and will raise the head priests and the chiefs of the villages." "'It's against all the law,' I says, "'holding a lodge without warrant from anyone. "'And you know we never held office in any lodge.' 
"'It's a master-stroke of policy,' says Dravot. "'It means running the country as easy as a four-wheeled bogey on a downgrade. "'We can't stop to inquire now, or they'll turn against us. "'I've forty chiefs at my heel, and passed and raised according to their merit they shall be. "'Billet these men on the villages, and see that we run up a lodge of some kind. "'The Temple of Imbra will do for a lodge-room. "'The women must make aprons as you show them. "'I'll hold a levy of chiefs to-night, and lodge to-morrow.' I was fair run off my legs, but I wasn't such a fool as not to see what a pull this craft business gave us. I showed the priest's families how to make aprons of the degrees, but for Dravot's apron, the blue border and marks was made out of turquoise lumps on white hide, not cloth. We took a great square stone in the temple for the master's chair, and little stones for the officer's chairs and painted the black pavement with white squares, and did what we could to make things regular. At the levee, which was held that night on the hillside with big bonfires, Dravot gives out that him and me were gods and sons of Alexander, and past grand masters in the craft, and was come to make Kafiristan a country where every man should eat in peace and drink in quiet, and specially obey us. Then the chiefs come round to shake hands, and they were so hairy and white and fair it was just shaking hands with old friends. We gave them names according as they was like men we had known in India. Billy Fish, Ollie Dilworth, Picky Kurgan that was Bazaar Master when I was at Mo, and so on and so on. The most amazing miracles was at Lodge next night. One of the old priests was watching us continuous, and I felt uneasy, for I knew he'd have to fudge the ritual, and I didn't know what the men knew. The old priest was a stranger coming from beyond the village of Bashkai. The minute Dravot puts on the master's apron that the girls had made for him, the priest fetches a whoop and a howl and tries to overturn the stone that Dravot was sitting on. "'It's all up now,' I said." That comes of meddling with the craft without warrant. Dravot never winked an eye, not when ten priests took and tilted over the Grand Master's chair, which was to say the stone of Imbra. The priest begins rubbing the bottom end of it to clear away the black dirt, and presently he shows all the other priests the Master's mark, same as was on Dravot's apron, cut into the stone. Not even the priest of the Temple of Imbra knew it was there. The old chap falls flat on his face at Dravot's feet and kisses him. Luck again, says Dravot across the lodge to me. They say it's the missing mark that no one could understand the why of. We're more than safe now. Then he bangs the butt of his gun for a gavel and says, By the virtue of the authority vested in me, by my own right hand and the help of Peachy, I declare myself Grand Master of all Freemasonry and Kafiristan in this the Mother Lodge of the country, and King of Kafiristan equally with Peachy. At that he puts on his crown, and I puts on mine. I was doing Senior Warden, and we opened the lodge in most ample form. It was an amazing miracle. The priests moved in lodge through the first two degrees, almost without telling, as if the memory was coming back to them. After that, 
Peachy and Dravot raised such as was worthy, high priests and chiefs of far-off villages. Billy Fish was the first, and I can tell you we scared the soul out of him. It was not in any way according to ritual, but it served our turn. We didn't raise more than ten of the biggest men, because we didn't want to make the degree common, and they was clamouring to be raised. "'In another six months,' says Dravot, "'we'll hold another communication and see how you're working.' Then he asks them about their villages, and learns that they was fighting one against the other and were sick and tired of it. And when they wasn't doing that, they was fighting with the Mohammedans.' "'You can fight those when they come into our country,' says Dravot. "'Tell off every tenth man of your tribes for a frontier guard, "'and send two hundred at a time to this valley to be drilled. "'Nobody is going to be shot or speared any more so long as he does well, "'and I know that you won't cheat me, "'because you're white people, sons of Alexander, "'and not like common black Mohammedans. "'You are my people, and by God,' says he, "'running off into English at the end. "'I'll make a damned fine nation of you, "'or I'll die in the making.'" End of part two.